Let's go back and uh, and let's see uh, right there, uh, John 10, verse 22. Then came the feast of the dedication at Jerusalem. John 10, 22. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple area, uh, walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now this is very important. What is the feast of the dedication? It's what the Jewish people call Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It's the feast of the dedication. It's a winter festival. In the Jewish calendar, it's in the Jewish calendar month Keslev, not Keslev, Keslev, a K sound. And uh, what is it about? It, by the way, it's on the 25th day of Keslev. But because Jewish calendars are different than ours, and periodically they add another month, sometimes it falls on our Christmas, and sometimes it may be almost a month away. So it's not the Jewish Christmas. It's the Feast of the Dedication. What is that about? Well, if you go back to the book of Daniel, you'll see exactly what that is about. And in Daniel, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. And we're going to see something interesting because this abomination of desolation is mentioned not only in Daniel chapter 9, but it's also mentioned in Daniel chapter 11. So let's look there on page 1392 and see what he says. Look at verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Now here it's slightly different, isn't it? They're going to set up the abomination that causes desolation. What is this? Just a snapshot of history. What you have here that is covered in the books that are not in in our Bibles, but are in the Greek Septuagint, which was the translation of the Hebrew Scriptures done by the rabbis a couple of centuries before Christ, there are books there that we call Apocrypha. They are the books that describe the events between the end of our Old Testament, Malachi. And by the way, our Old Testament and the Jewish Old Testament are identical. So the Jewish Old Testament doesn't have these books. But these books, like First and Second Maccabees and others, describe the events that went on. So we know historically, and we know as we look at the book of Daniel chapter 11, that it appears to be almost history written beforehand. And so what we know here is this. The Greeks, remember the four empires, there were the Babylonians, there were the Persians, there were the Greeks, and there were the Romans. So under the Greeks, the greatest persecution of the Jews occurred in their history until modern times. What happened? Everything that Jewish people were commanded to do, the Greeks would not let them do. For example, dedicating your child to God. The Greeks said, that child belongs to us. 
You will not put the mark of God's ownership on your child. And they did terrible things you can read about in First and Second Maccabees, such as killing the baby and hanging the baby around his mother's neck and other things, frying people in frying pans. The Greeks were terrible, terrible, brutal people. Why do we celebrate Greek culture? Because they won. And so their goal was this. We're going to make all people Greek. And that's why we had the Greek language that was the language of the Roman Empire. It became the universal language. If you wanted to have commerce, if you wanted to communicate, you had your own little language, like Aramaic uh, in Palestine. But Greek, even in the Roman Empire, even in Italy, people spoke Greek because it was an imposition. Greek culture, well, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the... He was the Greek ruler of the northern kingdom because two of the, of the generals of Alexander the Great, the one in the northern kingdom, the one in the southern kingdom, we know him as Ptolemy, they were in constant conflict. And sometime I'll take you through Daniel 11, but not today. And so what did he do? He was enraged. By the way, the Romans held him in check. And so he went back and Tyxpiphanes. Antiochus IV. And that name Epiphanes, it was a reference to him being God. He viewed himself as a manifestation of a God. Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. And what did he do? Well, he did not worship the Lord God of the Bible. He worshiped the Olympian Zeus. And so what he did was to go to the Jewish temple surrounding Jerusalem with armies and invading it. And he slaughtered a pig on the altar of God to the Olympian Zeus. And that was the abomination of desolation at that time, that desecration. And so there, there arose a, a revolt led by the Maccabees. And that's their nickname. It's a Latin name. It means hammer. They were the hammer against the Syrian version of the Greek Empire. And what did they do? Amazingly, they defeated the Greeks. And they restored the temple. And they cleansed the temple. And they found a cruise of oil, a very small amount of oil. And they took it. And they lit the seven candles, the seven lampstands. And the miracle is that it burned for seven days. And so the Jews celebrated that holiday with the feast of Hanukkah, celebrated on the 25th day of Keslav. And that was to celebrate a great miracle. Now you see the Lord Jesus celebrated that feast with them. But what I want you to see is that the abomination of desolation had an immediate fulfillment. Well, I shouldn't say immediate. It had a, a pre-Christian fulfillment in the person of Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. But that doesn't wipe out the thing entirely. And so if you look back at Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 9 for a moment, 
And we've been working our way through this. And you look at the very last verse, verse 27, Daniel 9, 27, where we're told that he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Who is the he? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it may have pointed initially to Antiochus Epiphanes who, who betrayed the Jewish people. But it's the Lord Jesus. He confirmed the covenant with the many. That's the remnant. That's the true Israel. And then it says, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Well, did Antiochus Epiphanes do that? Yes, he did do that. And the question is, did Jesus also do that? Yes, Jesus also did that. That's important to remember. In other words, the Bible very often is a both and book. It's this and it's that. And so we've talked about this before. Recapitulation and prophecy. Things take place historically, but they're not the ultimate fulfillment. And so what, if you take that uh, as we look here, he puts an end to sacrifice and offering. Antiochus Epiphanes did that by butchering a pig on the high altar of God. And then goes on and says, On a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed is poured out on him. And so that points out what Antiochus Epiphanes did. Now, going back in your mind to what Jesus said, let's look there for a moment at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. Actually, let's pick it up in Luke because Luke is crystal clear. And Luke chapter 21, and uh, we, we, see, we see this here uh, on page 1635. Verse 21, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Never forget. Your two small copper coins are worth more than George Soros's five. I don't think he does, but that's important. And then he goes on in verse 5, notice, Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. And look at verse 6, he says, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And they said, when? And he begins to explain things. And he warns them in verse 8 about being deceived. He warns about general signs. These things have gone on from time immemorial in verse 10. Nation will rise against nation and so on. All these signs, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, that's always gone on in history. And then he says about their persecution in verse 12 and how they're going to be tortured and many other things. And then notice verse 17. All men will hate you because of me. Have you ever thought about that? Are you hated? Have you ever experienced hatred? I have. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. If we're standing for Jesus, not standing to be a good moral person, but standing for Jesus, 
We're going to experience persecution. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And he says there, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. What's he saying about not a hair of your head? It's simply a Hebraic way of saying, God's going to take care of you. And you know what? You are immortal until God's purpose for your life is finished. Now, turning the page in verse 20, he says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you see, Jesus is taking the prophecy of Daniel that applied to Antiochus Epiphanes, and he is applying it in his day. And he says, you will know its desolation is near. Then notice what he says. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. Look at verse 23. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against... This people, who is he speaking about? He's speaking about God's covenant people, the Jewish people. He's saying there is pent up wrath that it is going to be poured out. And notice what he says here. I find this very striking. He says, verse 24, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What is he saying? He's saying something that's already happened in history. This happened literally when the Jews revolted against Rome, the last empire of Daniel, the Roman Empire, when they revolted against Rome in A.D. 66, civil war broke out. And we have an account written by a Jewish general who took the name Flavius Josephus. And if you read Josephus, you understand that virtually all of the Olivet Discourse, not all, but virtually all of it was fulfilled in the years between 66 and 70 A.D. Because in 70 A.D., the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple. And the Jewish temple is the thing that represented the presence of God among the Jewish people. And they took the Jewish people into captivity. And he says, notice there in verse 24, they will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, a moment of speculation, and then I press to a close. What is the symbol of, of Judaism? Not the menorah that burned for seven days uh, in the days of the Feast of the Dedication. It's the temple itself. And I want to submit to you that Jerusalem is still being trampled on by the Gentiles here and now. When I was in Jerusalem in the year 2000, we were warned as we walked on the Temple Mount where only the, the foundation stones are left. None of the stones of the temple were there. We were warned not to pray out loud. 
not to gather hands, not to sing, not to do any of those things because it was forbidden for anyone to gather there and worship. Why? The temple was then and is now under the control of the children of Muhammad, that is, the followers of Muhammad. It's still being trampled on by the Gentiles. When will the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled? You know what? I don't know. Nobody knows. As long as the temple is being trampled on by pagan people, the times of the Gentiles has not been concluded. What's the practical application of this for you and me? The practical application of this for you and me is what? One, the times in which we live are uncertain. And anyone who tells you, well, this is going to happen now, and this is going to happen now, and that's going to happen then, and they've got a chart up here to show you that history's being fulfilled right now. Well, I'm telling you, as long as the Jewish temple is being trampled on by the children of Muhammad, we're still in the times of the Gentiles. Secondly, persecution is the lot of God's children. Persecution is the lot of God's children. Do you want to be exempt from persecution? Who, who's the best funeral home in Texarkana? The only way to be free of persecution, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, is to be dead. To go home to be with Jesus. If you're living in this world and you're trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have opposition. And opposition sometimes hurts. Opposition sometimes will make you weep and sob because you know there are people who hate you because you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to tell people about Jesus. Third thing, God was then and is now in the business of purging his people. How does God purge the church? How did God purge the Israelite people? He purged them by terrible suffering and persecution that a remnant would survive. The many of, of Daniel 9, the many of Isaiah 53. The many. God purges his people to purify them. And what's God's purpose then for us? God's purpose for us is to prepare a people who are ready for the Lord's return. Will the Lord return this year? I hope so. He might not return for another thousand years. There's much left to be done. God has been building the New Testament temple ever since the day of Pentecost. But we need to be prepared because God will do anything, absolutely anything in your life and my life to purge sin out of us because God wants us to be holy. And you know, that's not possible by your good efforts and my good efforts. That's only possible because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. 
And when suffering comes your way, when persecution comes your way, when trials come your way, when uncertainty comes your way, He's only designed it to make you holy. What's holiness? Holiness is not, we don't do this and we don't do that. Holiness is drawing near and communing with God. And God has given us an ordinance, another sealing ordinance. Like baptism, God has given us the sealing ordinance of the Lord's Supper. God seals to us the reality we belong to Christ in this ordinance. So let's pray. Lord, we lift up this bread to you and this wine to you, and we set them apart by Jesus' name from a common use to a special use. Amen. And you see what God wants is this. He wants you as you eat this bread to draw near to Jesus. This isn't magic bread. It doesn't have any power in and of itself to make you good or holy. It's a means, a tool of grace. It's not spiritual vitamins. It's a way of exciting your heart to love Jesus more. So before you eat this bread, pray and ask the Lord Jesus, more love for you, O Christ, more love for you. Give me a warm and fervent heart. Give me to walk with you, to love you, to live for you all the days of my life. Animate me with more love for Jesus.